Hey, it's your host, Abigail Pumphrey, and I'm on a personal mission to help more small business owners become financially free. I like to nerd out on all things business, marketing, and most definitely the numbers. I'm talking all the lessons learned as I turned a layoff into a seven-figure online business. I like to share it all and no conversation is off the table. We talk actionable strategies, biz challenges, and all the things life throws your way. Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got Crash Plan Smart Recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. Crash Plan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. CrashPlan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with CrashPlan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Today on the podcast, we have Katie Hunt of Trade Show Bootcamp. She is our first second time guest, which I'm super excited about. We met Katie last summer at the Savvy Experience and have been friends ever since. Katie has this depth of knowledge about this entirely different world of wholesale and the stationary like industry that we just don't have privy to. And she is not afraid of holding back and, or should I say the opposite? She doesn't hold back ever. <laughs> and she gives you so much insight in this episode. I'm excited for you to get to know her. She spoke around the country, not just at Savvy Experience, but at Creative Live and Sean West's conference. And she even has her own conference, which is coming up in September, which you'll hear more about at the end of this episode. So I'm excited for you to dive in. Yeah, we're talking all about saving for trade shows, how to budget for that so you aren't surprised with how much maybe food that you'll eat when you're away from home like we were. She's talking about the pros and cons of going to a national show or a smaller local show first, how to balance retail and wholesale because they're kind of two separate businesses even if you're selling the same stuff, and how to nurture those relationships after you snag some wholesale clients because it doesn't just end at signing on the dotted line and sending them a bunch of your stuff, right? So we're talking about how to add value, how to get them ordering more, and how to just bring them on like their family and they're truly VIP. There's a lot of ideas in this episode and a lot of action steps. Hey guys, we are on here for part two with our friend Katie Hunt. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Excited to be back. If you guys missed part one, you want to go back and listen to episode 31 first, where we were talking about the secret parallel universe of wholesaling and all of the mysterious factors that go into all of that good stuff and mastering it for your business. And today we are going to talk a little bit more about trade shows and nurturing those relationships so you can get like off on the right foot and learn from Katie's mistakes and all of the amazing students that she helps in her programs. And just a shout out real quick, Katie just launched her podcast. Give it a little bit of a plug before we get started. (laughs) Sure. So I have wanted to do this podcast for a couple of years now, and it's in something that's been brewing. And last year I was on the road so much doing speaking engagements and I had a brand new baby at home. And at the end of the year, I was just like wiped out. You guys, I just, it was too much for me. It was too much for my family. And I said to my husband, you know, that podcast idea I've had for a while, I am going to like take this and run with it because I can do that from home. I don't have to travel and I can reach like a wider audience, not just the conference people. And, you know, I believe wholeheartedly in meeting in person and doing conferences. So I'm still attending some this year, but it's, I've cut back my travel schedule tremendously. But the podcast, you guys, it's focused on 
how to run a product-based business. I'm interviewing a number of our TSBC alumni, and they're telling me about how they got into their business, all the different successes they've had. But we're also talking about the hard stuff, the struggles, the pivots, the transitions that they've had and what they did, how they got through that. And so it's, yeah, thank you for mentioning it. It launched yesterday. It's called Proof to Product, and we're on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and all the places that you know, we're supposed to be in this podcast world. But yeah, the feedback's been really phenomenal and it's been exciting. So thank you. Thank you for your support with it. Well, we're excited to have you and we want to jump straight into that trade show bucket. We know we're going into summertime and there's a lot of shows rolling out this summer and we know there's four buckets I hear that you should should have for these shows. What are, what are these buckets? What am I I supposed to be doing? Go get a sand pail, right? No, literal (laughs) buckets to trade shows. No, 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 no. So when I talk about budgeting for a trade show and like how you're going to split your dollars, I always talk about your budget, breaking your budget into four buckets. And maybe I should find a different word for it, but no, I think it's great. (laughs) But bucket it is. So the first one are your sales tools. So things like your cat, when you're looking at your money and how you're going to spend it, the first thing you want to look at is your sales tools. So those catalogs that we talked about, you know, order forms, any piece that you need to actually make the sale and write the order at a show. So that's going to be one bucket. Your second bucket is your marketing budget. And that is anything tied to marketing and advertising. So if you are applying for awards and rankings, if you're doing show giveaways, if you're sending a pre-show mailer, which I highly recommend you do, or if you're prepping for a post-show mailer follow-up piece that you actually send direct mail piece, you want to include all of that in your marketing budget for the show. The biggest piece of this whole pie is going to be your booth budget because you're going to be paying... It's it's a lot. You're going to be paying for your not only your booth space and your, you know your home at the show, but then you have to outfit it to match your brand and to highlight your products and to do, make it look like you. And so that includes things like walls and flooring and lighting because lighting is super critical and you have to build <laughs> well, and I will say too, every show is different. So with your booth fee, what you pay to the actual company that you purchase your space from, some shows come with walls, some shows just come with like this really delicate curtain that nobody really uses. Um, <laughs> Yes, it's like a sometimes they're black, sometimes they're white, sometimes they're a shade of gray. (laughs) But yeah, so you know, every show is very different. So when you are looking at different shows, make sure to look at what comes with your booth because that will also play into how you're working this budget. And then the fourth, the fourth bucket for this trade show booth or budget rather is your travel and lodging. So if you're traveling to the show, you need to think about how you're getting there, where you're staying, taxis and things getting to and from the show, or are you know, eating out, like basically your budget for entertainment and getting there and staying there and all that stuff. I even put some clothes budget in my trade show budget because, you know, you want to look your best and feel your best. Mm-hmm. And so anyhow, I don't know how I my accountant would feel about that, but <laughs> like it makes me so happy. Let's plan ahead for how much food we're going to consume at a show. Okay. I think that was our least planned for budget when we were speaking at conferences last year. Mm-hmm. Listen, guys, if you guys haven't guessed, we love to eat. Like, okay, <laughs> we eat a lot. Uh, we could talk about our infamous two dinner meal that we had in oh, one night when oh, we yeah. were in Palm yeah. Springs. Maybe we'll keep save that one for later. But we did not at all budget for the amount of food that two ladies can consume. <laughs> You'd be uh, surprised if you're gone like a whole week. It does and it, it, Like it's way more expensive, especially you consider where you're traveling to. So mm-hmm. if you're traveling to a coast and you live in the Midwest, like expect everything to be twice as expensive. much. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, and, and most of the shows that my community is doing and that I've, I've done are in New York where, you know, lodging sure. is expensive and yep. meals are expensive and you know, you just, you want, I'm not telling you on Tuesday, we're going to go here to eat dinner or no, whatever, but like, right. just know in general that you want to account for those expenses because you don't want them to sneak up on you. Well, mm-hmm. remember, well, I guess not all of you remember, but I used to work corporate and you know how they used to have per diem yep. and you like got paid a certain amount per meal per day. Like you can essentially do like a per diem for yourself mm-hmm. and give yourself like a range and I would probably add 20% because you're underestimating <laughs> how much food you're or anything like booth ever like I would add 20% to all the things you budget just for wiggle room and yeah. 
be prepared. But the next thing I want to really jump into is the show itself. Yeah. With all these shows coming, should someone focus on a local show first or should they jump in head first and go to the National Stationery Show or go to New York Now? What should they be doing? Yeah, I would say for most of your listeners, New York Now or the National Stationery Show are probably going to be the two most relevant shows for them in terms of larger wholesale shows. Whether or not they invest in a more localized show, there's definitely pros and cons to that. I think, you know, being local, it makes it so much more easier from a logistical standpoint of building out your booth and bringing your product. If you forget something, you can easily go home and get it. But you also need to weigh the cost too. So I, I guess... I have two different mindsets around this. I think that, yes, I think local shows can be fantastic in getting your feet wet, getting feedback from the buyers, practicing your pitch, practicing setting up a booth, and just kind of getting the feel for how this all works, right? And it's usually a lower risk because it's usually a lower cost. There's not the travel component we talked about. So I do think there's a lot of pros to it. A con that may come up for some people is, for example, I'm in Los Angeles and my stationary line, Kelp Designs, when I was wholesaling that, it was very preppy. It was very, it was a lot of pattern work. And my customer, I had a lot of East Coast people that liked my stuff. Like regionally, you need to think about where your products fit into the market. And so for me, like I never did like the California gift show or one of the local wholesale shows here. I went straight to National Stationery Show. In retrospect, I, as I think I mentioned last time, like I don't, that probably wasn't the best way to do it for me. But I guess my point is just that like consider where your products do well. And if you don't, if you're not already selling wholesale, but you have an online shop or an Etsy shop or something like that, look at your statistics and see who's buying. And if you can see where they're located or where you're shipping things to, that will kind of give you a sense of the regions that are attracted to your type of product. So I think they can be a really great way to get your feet wet, but I also would encourage you not to invest in a show that's not, it's not going to work for you. So like I said, like California gift wasn't the right spot for me. And so I didn't do it. I just waited, saved up my money and did stationery. So when do you think the right time is for a business to start doing shows like this, local or big? Because I know you jumped right into it, but you say that maybe that wasn't the best decision for you. So talk about that. Yeah, sure. So, you know, that's the million dollar question. When am I ready? I think that's the first question I hear from most of our bootcamp alums before they even come to paper camp. And unfortunately, I don't have a steadfast answer for you other than to say everybody's different and you're going to know when it's right for you. Like it's kind of like a leap of faith and you got to decide, am I really going to jump into this wholesale game. And if I'm going to take it seriously, it are shows the right avenue for me. Now, that being said, you know, shows are changing and the market is changing. And with social media and all these other things, there are different ways to reach your buyers now. And so shows, I think are, I still think that they're relevant. I still think that they're a very important piece to what we're doing because there's so many other benefits to being at this, these types of shows. I mean, If you think about it, let's say you meet 100 or 200 people at these shows, hypothetically. Mm -hmm. To go out to each of those stores and meet with them one-on-one, realistically, how could you get that done? Logistically, it makes no sense. And so there are a lot of benefits. I mean, I also tell people, too, that, you know, shows are a great way to meet other people in the industry and build relationships with colleagues. It's a great opportunity for marketing. You can meet with sales reps that maybe you'll work with down the line. Maybe there's some collaboration partners that you want to meet, you know, that they see your work in your booth and then they approach you later for stuff. The other thing too, which actually we talked about on my podcast with one of my recent guests is, you know, a lot of the bigger box stores like Target, Anthro, Urban Team, like all those places, they will walk different shows and they won't buy straight away. You know, they'll come back and have a conversation outside of the show. So it's also a really great spot to make those bigger connections. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody that goes to the show makes those bigger connections. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a guarantee, but being there gives you a leg up on, you know, people that may be staying home. So, but to answer your question, how are you ready? I think it kind of ties back to what we talked about last time we chatted, where you really need to have a solid product line. You need to have a unique product line that has its own brand voice, that has its own aesthetic, that really stands out in the marketplace. And you need to have a volume of product. If you only have a small line of product, you shouldn't be going to shows and you shouldn't start wholesaling yet. You really need to focus on building up that product line. And then the second step of that is figuring out your your flow, figuring out your sales funnel, your, your, your sales flow and how you fulfill products. So if an order comes in, do you have your systems in place to get that stuff out quickly? Do you have the inventory? 
do you have a catalog? Do you have terms and conditions? Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things are really important. And so if you kind of have these key components in place, you can fake it till you make it a little more easier. And, you know, I think it's a comfort thing. It's It's a mindset thing and a comfort thing of, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to like show this to the world and get things going. My other question would be, and I've run, I've helped run trade shows in the past, not not this, not this kind of thing, but it was like more it's so of a different in the thing. corporate world. I yeah. did them for attorneys for years and they were so different than when I went to the show. Yeah. But one of the things you'll run into is you're like, okay, I'm going to do a trade show. And then they're like, here's the pricing for this type of booth on this type of aisle in this yeah. corner. It is this price. If you yeah. want a double booth, it's blah, blah, blah. So totally. like, how do you even know, is it worth the extra money to be on a corner? Is it worth the extra money to get a double wide booth? Like, should I just get the smaller booth where they place me wherever? Or should I invest more in the prime location near the entrance? I'm so glad you asked this. So I've got a few different things to say on a few different parts of this. I want to let people know that most trade shows are sold on a square foot basis. And so they'll have a certain price per square foot. Uh And then each show has different lots, so to speak. You know, they'll have different booth sizes. So for example, at the National Stationery Show, the booths, they have the smallest ones they have are 60 square foot. And at New York Now, I believe it's 100 square foot is the smallest one they have. And then there's typically a premium. So like an add-on for having a corner. So, and it can range anywhere from like four to $600. Some are more, some are less. It just depends. But that's kind of the range that I've seen. I personally love corner booths. I think that they open you up to more exposure. You get people coming from both sides. However, you know, well, two things. One, I found that the premium kind of offset having to outfit another wall because on a corner you have two walls. And if you're in what they call an inline booth, you have three, you have two sides and a back. So I found that when I was renting my walls to actually pay for two walls and pay for the corner premium kind of balanced out to be the same as the three wall booth. But my, my point is I like corner booths because I think it really does give you a heightened visibility. But that being said, people need to do what's fitting, what fits their budget. And ultimately it's going to drive back to your marketing. How are you telling people where to find you at the show? Are you plastering that booth number in your social media, on your mailers, you know, in your emails that you're sending out, wherever you are placed, it is your job to get the traffic there and to have people come and find you. And so what I always tell our campers is, there's not necessarily a bad neighborhood at a show, but you do want to be around similar like-minded companies, right? So a lot of our alumni, for example, I think we have about 65 that are exhibiting at the stationary show in 2017. And they will reach out to the show management and say, I want to be on these aisles, or I want to be near these companies, or it's totally okay to call show management, whoever, whatever show you're at, and say, who are my neighbors? Who's across from me, next to me, behind me, all these things. And just make sure that you're with companies that have similar but non-competing aesthetic to you or similar products. So I think double boosts, I never, I always recommend going back to your original question, Abby, like I always recommend people start smaller and then grow it. So, you know, I always tell people consider doing the smallest size booth just to get your feet wet, see how it goes. You can always expand at the next show. You can always go up. You can always go down too, but you know, just, you can do a lot in a small booth and that way reserves your dollars to a little bit. So let's go back a little bit to that marketing game plan before you're heading to your show. Talk to me about what is my timeline that I need to be sending these mailers out? How, you know, at what point do I need to start telling people on social media? And what information do I even put on these mailers to get people excited about coming? Such a great question. So I think I shared this last time, but I'm a huge advocate of making all of your outreach really beneficial and valuable to your buyer. So I want you to put your hat on as a retail buyer and think, what do they need to know to place the order with me? What's going to make their lives easier, right? Like when things are right in front of us and easy to grab, we're going to grab it. So in your mailer, you want to include things like your show specials. So if people are offering free shipping, if they order a certain dollar amount, or if they're, or you know, offering free product, if you hit a certain dollar amount, things like that, you definitely want to have that on your mailers and in your email, anything that is going to help them buy. Another show special oftentimes is lowering your minimum order amount. So Mm -hmm. if, for example, your order amount is typically $150 to place that initial order, maybe you lower it to $100. But things like that that make it easier for the retailers to like 
place an order and get their get their foot in the door. You want to make it comfortable for them. But there's other stuff you can do to add value. You could send them graphics to include on their website or to post on social media once they're carrying your products. You can there's just so many things you can do to nurture that relationship. But in terms of what to send and when to send it, again it goes back to the tiered marketing approach that we talked about last time. You know, I recommend sending out emails, I recommend sending out direct mail and once you get your booth number no shame. Put that in your social media <laughs> handles and like really spread the word there. I forgot to mention what I forgot to answer your point about what to include in the mail. So I'll go back to that. But in terms of when to send things, I usually recommend that people send their direct mail pieces three to four weeks before the show is when they're going in the mail. And the reason for that is you don't want to send them too early because then people see them and forget about them. And you don't want to send them too late because you really need to think about the buyers. They're getting their shop ready to get out. All of us know how hard it is to get out of town, right? Before we leave. And the shop owners are the same way. They're getting their team ready, their shop ready before they leave. If they have a family at home, they're getting their family ready, their house ready, whatever it is. So if you send it too close to when they leave, they're probably going to miss it or just not catch it. Want to learn exactly step-by-step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low-ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low-ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com slash jumpstart, including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. Find out more at bossproject.com slash jumpstart. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by seeing you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. That three to four weeks tends to be good. Emails, you know, you could send one that's like six weeks out, kind of teasing your new releases, and you can send one that's maybe two weeks out, just letting them know again where to find you. But it's, again, that booth number needs to be on everything Mm -hmm. you send out. And even if the buyers aren't going to the show, 
because I have seen mailers go out. I've experienced this myself. I've sent mailers out and I've gotten a lot of orders from people that didn't attend the show. They came in like the orders came in before or even while I was at the show. So people want to know what you're up to. They want to know that you're releasing new products. So just make it as simple as you can for them. But on the mailer, you know, include your company logo, include your URL, all of your contact information, your booth number, and then that teaser content that we talked about earlier that's really show like adding value for them and teaching them why they want to, telling them why they yeah. want to buy yeah, I think make it obvious and make it helpful. And, you know, if there's the, the entire point for these retailers is to show up to these places. And so if you are this type of stuff that they need to be seeing, like you need to let them know about that. And buyers are always looking for new product. Yes. Always. They want to know what's new. They want to know what's fresh and they want to buy from you. So just make it as simple as possible for them. Speaking of new and fresh, how do you make your booth stand out? Like, I know a lot of thought goes into your setup and like buying the furniture and buying all of the things to display your product. But Mm -hmm. how do you make it not look like everyone else, but also make it functional and shippable, so (laughs) to speak, because you actually have to get it to the location and not break your back and not break your budget. So any tips on that? Is there like a secret website where everyone buys all their stuff? Like, (laughs) tell me all the things. Yeah, TradeShowCam is actually the magic secret spot. (laughs) No, but no, TradeShowCam.com. But no, there are so – I mean, Abby, that question is so intense because there – you can rent stuff. You can buy stuff. You can borrow stuff. You can bring stuff from home. You can drive it in. You can fly it in. You can create it in. You can like – there are so many ways to get the booth done. The other thing is too, you know, having been to corporate shows, like every show is different. Like stationary show looks like a beautiful, magical wonderland of like – paper goods but the corporate shows i went to they were just like, like trash they, look they just look like they put those pop-up awnings with the logo on it and so cool. you do need to know your show and you need to know but i would say that when you're starting out with your design there's a couple of things that you really need to focus on one remembering that you're there to sell and that your product is the hero here so you want to make your product look the best possible way. You want to have it merchandised in a way that buyers can see what it is. They can see how it functions and they can decide to purchase. I see a lot of people that have gorgeous booths, right? Like totally like designed to the max and like gorgeous, but functionally it's hard for people to see what they're selling. They're not sure if like some of the decor is product or if their product is product. And so you want to make it very clear what's the hero here. It's your product. But then too, like knowing your brand and knowing, you know, having a cohesive look and feel to your booth that matches your catalog and your website and your brand and look and all that with the colors and the the signage and all of that stuff, It that really plays into it too. One of my friends, Amber Ellis again from Flywheel Press, one of our past bootcamp speakers, she would always say, you don't have to break the bank to have a beautiful booth. And she's totally right. Like on average, our alumni are spending seven to $10,000 to do the National Stationery Show every year. And we've had some spend a lot more than that. And we've had some do it for less than that. But the point is like you can make it what you want and you can make it fit within your budget. So if you don't have seven to 10 grand, you can do it for less. You just have to make some tough decisions about how you want to make it happen. So do most people like draw a box in their garage and like set it all up and take a million pictures and then get there and then reset it up? Or how do you suggest making it happen? Well, everyone does a different way. You know, I, my sister's an architect, so she would draw stuff up in like AutoCAD for me. I was totally spoiled. But um, that is spoiled. <laughs> it was awesome. But I mean, we've even like taped stuff off because so, I, I have a hard time sometimes with the visual yeah. component of it of like, gosh, if I put too much furniture, can people walk around here? I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, if that's the case for you, like even just taping it off. Like if you know your booth is eight by 10, tape that off and look at what that space looks like. We do recommend that people test stuff at home. You know, if they're using foam walls and trying to hang heavy things on it, it's really important that you test that at home. You don't want things falling off the shelf or, you know, collapsing. I've seen it happen and people bounce back like, you know, super quick, but it just, you know, it makes your heart drop a little bit when stuff Uh like that goes wrong. So yeah, definitely test at home. The other thing is too, like for me, I, like I said, do the New York shows and I live in California. And so I have always rented my walls. We use a company called Manny Stone Decorators who has been a great partner for bootcamp. And they, when I get there, my walls are up. 
And it's like, I just have to put the product up or I have to put my signage up or whatever it is. And, you know, it's a little more expensive to rent it and I don't get to keep it and I don't get to take it home. But the peace of mind that I have knowing that I'm going to arrive and it's all up has been huge. The other thing is too, if I was coming in and doing it myself, I would have to come in to New York a day earlier. So I'd have to be away from my family one extra day. I'd have to pay for an extra night of hotel. I'd have to, you know, like there's all these things to think about. And so to me, paying a little bit more for the rented walls that I don't get to keep makes a lot of sense. And it, I splurge. That's one of the areas that I choose to splurge in. But a lot of people now are building their own walls and they're creating them in. And if that's the case, if you are building your own walls, and when I recommend people build their own walls, it's when they're going to be doing multiple shows. Yeah. You know, it needs to be a longer term investment. But if you are going that route, yeah, absolutely build them at home and like put them up and know how to use them. The, <laughs> the other thing, which you guys are going to be like, what? Most shows you're not allowed to use power tools. What? Uh, yeah, when you set up. Explain to me why. <laughs> and again, every show thing. is different. So, but the New York shows have pretty strict rules about not using power tools during setup if, because they have union labor and stuff like that. So when we coach our alumni on how to build these booths, we always tell them pre-plan at home and drill the holes and plan to use, you know, whatever nuts and bolts and I don't even oh know. Oh my like, gosh. Your C-clamps and all these things because you need to get there and be able to do it without like using a drill. Now, some people do use drills and they like, you know, yeah, exactly. You've got to look at it or whatever it is. Yeah, I don't know. That's just a risk people have to take because in the book, the rules state you're not supposed to use this. You can, if you absolutely need somebody to drill something in, you can hire the union labor to do it for you. But there's nothing more like frustrating seeing somebody like screw your light bulb in or like, I'm joking, but you know what I mean? Like do basic <laughs> things that you can do and having to sit there and watch them do it and pay them for it. <laughs> so. Oh. That's right. How do you find yeah. all of these rules? Like I would oh, – yeah. where – is there a book? So, yeah. So when you register for whatever show you're registering for, you will get an exhibitor manual. And it's really important that you guys read that. I did not read that the first time and we <laughs> talked about my fireproofing situation in yep. the past episode. So yeah, definitely, you know, whatever show you're at is going to have different rules. Again, the booths are going to come with different components. So just like be sure to read that stuff and know what you're getting into. There's rules even regarding like lights, how many lights you can put up based on how – so if your booth is a certain size – you can use six lights. But if it's a bigger size, you can put eight lights up. And depending on your booth size, you either you can put your own lights up or you have to hire somebody else to put your lights up. So it's very – it gets pretty – there's a lot of details that you don't know you don't know until you get there. And you're like, wait a minute. Or you start planning and then you're like, wait a minute. What am I doing? So it's one person who messes up the lights and they fall off the ladder. Then you have to make this rule where you have to hire someone to screw in your light bulbs. No, I know. People. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about nurturing those relationships, but also nurturing your business when you're adding in wholesale as a component. We just got off a conversation with someone, our friend Jordan, who sells apparel online through his Squarespace website and has a couple of wholesale relationships. And we were talking about how it's a lot of work to create these relationships. It's a lot of work to maintain them. It's a lot of work to fulfill them, find them and all of that stuff. And it's a lot of work to market your own stuff to just consumers. Yeah. And so she was saying how she has noticed that there are some businesses who strictly just do wholesale. Like they don't offer retail. They don't sell on their website because that balance is really hard. You're either expecting your retail to bring in the majority of your income or you're expecting your wholesale to bring in the majority of income. Do you find that to be the case with your own students? And like, how do you help make sure your, your retail side and your tribe people don't get ignored when you're building this wholesale component of your business? That is such a great question. And it's such a difficult balance because as we've talked about in the past, like your retail channel and your wholesale channel require totally different strategies, marketing techniques, timing, and like just so many differences to it. And we have, I have seen a shift. I feel like, and this is how I was in my own business too. I feel like when people are starting out, they aren't sure what they want to do because they're not sure what's in, ta like what each market, 
which each channel involves, right? Like when I started out, I was doing custom work, working with like brides and people having babies and stuff like that. I was selling on Etsy. So I was working straight through my retail channel of direct to consumer. And then I started wholesaling and each of those. Which that's like running three different businesses. It's like a client business, a consumer business and a wholesale business. It is. But at the time I didn't know better. And I didn't know. I was just like, you know, I was young in my business and I was trying to bring in money however I could. And right. my custom work, I enjoyed that work with the client. And I thought I needed to be whole. You know what I mean? Like I had a naive or a naivety, whatever the word is, like to it. But I also had the hustle and the drive because I was super excited about my business. And that's not yeah. to say I don't have that drive now. I just think that like it's a little more refined because I've learned things along the way that made me realize, wow, like this is running three different businesses and I cannot do this all myself and I cannot do this well if I'm going to do it. The first thing I peeled off was my custom work. So one thing I do with some of my clients on, a, on my one-on-one clients is we look at their income and we look at the time that they've spent in different projects so we can see what percentage of their income is wholesale or retail or custom. And then we look at their time and see where they spent their time to see if that's in alignment. The other thing we talk about is the unquantifiable stuff of like, what do you love doing? What do you yes. hate doing? Where do you want to be spending your time? And then we kind of make a game plan for where to focus their effort and their time and their energy because you're right and Jordan's right like it is totally separate ball games and it's hard it's really hard and I'm finding that when people come into boot camp they're kind of like I was like they want to do it all because they're just kind of trying to figure out their way and then as they've kind of grown in their business people are like shedding pieces and it's different for everyone though I mean we have people you know, Emily Lay is one of our alums and she shut off the wholesale side of things. I've got people that shut off the the custom stuff. I have people that stop doing the retail side of things or scale back tremendously. It's hard to try to juggle all those things at once. And really, you're going to make the biggest impact in your business when you have focus. Yes. And you're going to make the biggest impact when you're focusing your energy on one specific thing. So yeah. I think bringing up Emily Lay is is important. Guys, we had her episode way back in the early days. I'll look and see what number that one is really quickly. But she talked about how the reason why she scaled back is because she realized that she wasn't working with her clients and her customers in the way that she had originally intended. And when the, the way that you're doing business shifts because of whatever you've added on, whether it be like client work, custom work, wholesaling, it doesn't matter. You have to ask yourself, like, is this the reason why I came into business? And is this the purpose that I want to be doing? And you might have to cut something. That episode, by the way, is episode 11 with Emily Lay. She's great. And I loved her. I love her story because she is staying true to her. I I know the changes in business. It's scary as heck, you guys. (laughs) Like it, It is hard to make those transitions and it's hard to make those decisions to scale back in an area that you've been working so hard on for however amount of time, whether it's a day, a month, a week, whatever. Yeah. You've put your heart and soul into it. But I will tell you that every time I have made one of those tough decisions and either scaled back on something or maybe I hired somebody to help run a certain side of my business, my business has grown because I've been intentional about it. Mm -hmm. I used to hear that like about a year ago. I heard everyone and their mother say that. And I was like, you're such a liar. Like that is not true. I do not see how that can happen. I do not see how hiring someone can make like it scale that ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then we did it. And I was like, holy banana hotcakes. This is insane. And they're right. And so now like we're just being more intentional about who are we bringing on and what are what are Abby and I doing again in our business and what is the purpose behind that? And when you get that clarity, it is game changer. Yeah. Well, Amber McHugh, who I adore, she always talks about reaching for the $100 bills and in the sense of leave the dollars sitting on the ground and reach for the hundreds, yeah. you know? And I love that because us, you know, as business owners, there are so many things that we need to be taking care of every day in our business. And so you too, for example, need to be focused on the high level stuff in your business yes. to generate the most amount of revenue. And the same goes for me. Yeah. I will tell you too, you know, going through this whole podcast launch that we just had, it would not have been possible without my team. Yeah, 100%. I, I, you know, I started recording my episodes in January and we launched it in May. And that goes to show that like, but we really started the hustle of like getting it all edited and packaged and marketing and all that stuff in the last, like two months before we launched. And 
I couldn't have done that myself. This is why the podcast didn't go two years ago because I didn't have the bandwidth. You know what I mean? So I just, I, I don't know. I know we're getting away from product stuff and wholesale stuff, but I think it's really important to like remind people that it's okay to focus on one thing and it's okay to stop doing the things that aren't important to you or as a person or aren't really feeding your business the way you want them to. Well, and something to add to that, I think you also, it's okay to reach a point and not go past that. Like if you get to a point where you're making enough money and your family is comfortable and you are comfortable and you have a process in place for your business to kind of run on autopilot and you don't want to grow anymore, that is totally fine. Like I think so many people tell you all of the time, like all over social media, all over the internet, that you have to keep reaching for the next thing. But I'll be the one to tell you that if you like where you're at and you love your life, like go live it. And, you know, if wholesale is a part of it and that's, and it brings in a chunk of your income, that's awesome. And you can make it a part of your life. But if you, if you don't want to keep adding more and more, like don't. Yeah. There's different phases in business, right? We've got growth phases where we're trying to get to the next thing. We've got maintenance phases and those are just as important because we need those times to rest and maintain Mm -hmm. and reassess what we're doing so that we can then enter into another growth phase should we choose. So I I think that's really important. There was something else that you said that that triggered a memory that I wanted to share and now I can't remember what it was. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. So let's get back to nurturing those specific relationships Mm -hmm. after we're starting that wholesale process. So we've gone to some shows, we've landed some people, we've like hustled and made that groundwork. So we have these people. Okay. And then now maybe they live in another state. Like, how do we keep talking to them? What do we send them? How do we get them to keep ordering and like make them love us? Like what's our game plan? I love this question. And I feel like it can be approached in a lot of different ways. Ultimately, the goal is to build a relationship with them. You want to become friends with them. You want to know about their family and their shop. And you want to ask questions about what they need so that you can help find solutions just like you would with anybody else you're talking to. So, you know, sending regular emails once a month or if you can't do once a month, maybe once a quarter or something like that. Just letting them know what's new, what you're working on, what promotions you have going. Again, everything tied back to them in mind. What is going to add value to them? But you know, you never want to follow up and say, Hey, I'm just checking in. How you doing? How's the product Ready? doing? Ready yeah. Like, cause so are they personalized emails or are they like you put them on an email list for all your wholesale people and then you kind of market to them like you would? Well, your- I definitely think you need to have an email list so that you uh-huh. can send some, like some things are more suitable for like e blast, you know, new releases. That's totally okay. But when you're first building that relationship, when you're just starting to work with somebody, that's where I like the personal correspondence, like, you know, the personal email or a personal note in the mail that just says, Hey, I'm really excited to work with you. The other thing is, I mean, frankly, a lot of nurturing this business relationship ties back to professionalism mm-hmm. and I know this sounds like common sense, but I'm going to say it because it's that important, but clear communication, setting expectations. If you say that something will ship on a certain day, ship that day. And Mm -hmm. if it's not going to ship that day for whatever reason, because things happen, life happens and that's okay, but just communicate well, have clear communication and let them know, hey, this is backordered. We didn't, you know, or we had an issue. So it's actually going to be a little bit longer and give them options too. Do you want us to hold this? Do you want to, you know, like let them decide what they want to do, but it it ties back to clear communication, setting expectations, you know, giving them information they need, just being professional, you know, some ways that you don't want to go about pitching people or building relationship, but it's like pitching them on social media through a DM or something, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not the professional way to go. Send a letter, send an email, treat business like business. I think it's tough when we do start to become friends with these people that are also our clients where things can get casual, you know, text message here or whatever it might be. And Really, you're running a business. So treat it like that and, you know, give them the respect that that requires too. Well, and I think I hear so often from people who say they don't have time to have that many touch points with their people. Mm-hmm. And if, if that's your response, you either don't need to have your wholesale people at all if you don't have the time to nurture that. 
or you don't need to have as many. I hear so many people who are like, okay, I landed one, now I need three, now I need five, but they're not even getting any relationship back from the first touch people because they're not touching back with them and they're not caring about their relationship. They're just looking at like, I need 10 wholesale clients. And honestly, like you could nurture just one or two people really freaking well. And those could be your rock stars. Like the people who we brought into our audience, and I don't think it's any different from retail customers, B2B, B2C, or your wholesale people. Those first couple people that come in your doors and say yes to purchasing from you are going to stick around forever if you treat them like VIPs. And if you truly show up for them and like go above and beyond, you're not going to have to worry about having 50 different wholesale people. Yeah. I agree with you. I also think that when you're just starting wholesale, having just a couple accounts really is a great training wheel system, you know, <laughs> like it it lets you flesh out your processes and it yes. helps you like make sure that you're like, if you forgot to do something or you didn't know you needed to do something, it gives you a chance to fix those things before you kind of scale up. The other thing is going back to what we talked about at the very beginning of the show, like in addition to having those relationships and nurturing those relationships, having new product is what is going to keep them coming back for more and more and more because you will have new, fresh, beautiful things for them to purchase because their customers are constantly coming in and saying, what's new? That's going to be the first question they ask you. What's new? Yeah. So do you put them on like a regular schedule? Are you releasing new product like a couple times a year? Is there, I know there's buying seasons for Mm -hmm. like fashion and stuff, but in the stationary industry, is there certain seasons that you have? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we absolutely do. So we, I find that when most people come into our industry and start wholesaling, they're not usually releasing on a schedule. It's usually they're either doing one of two things. They're kind of releasing things as they create them. And it's kind of like, you know, hey, look what I made. And it's there's not really a strategy or a marketing push behind it. It's just, hey, here's what's new. And it may be like one piece at a time. The other thing I've seen is where people will hold everything and release a big release in May because that's when the stationery show is. And so that's when a lot of people are buying. But the truth of the matter is retailers are buying year round. And there's typically like four key seasons that people are buying in our world. It's going to vary from industry to industry. But I think if you you know, depending on what you guys are selling, not you, but the audience, whatever they're selling, you know, look around and see what the cycles are. We'll see when, you know, fashion, I think is much further out than what our stationary mm-hmm. people are doing. But for example, people are buying in May for the holiday season. So right. Christmas and New Year's and Hanukkah and all that stuff, they're buying that even earlier sometimes in May, but May. And for example, calendars or planners, that's selling a whole year out. So people are preparing their 2000. 19 calendars now for release in like January. So it would, does that make sense? Like releases a whole year now. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's long lead stuff, but, and it's not all like that, like regular greeting cards and stuff. That's typically, you know, three to four times a year people are releasing and it, it just depends. But yeah, I would say even if your releases are smaller and let's say it's like 12 SKUs or six SKUs, six SKUs should be your minimum, but you know, that's okay. If you're consistently releasing new product, that that's better. Cause then you can build on it, right? Like maybe you're releasing six new products three times a year, but then you kind of build up and you're doing 12 new products three times a year. Like that's awesome. So yeah, just start just with where consistent. you are. What's that? Yeah. Start with where you are and be consistent with it. Yes, absolutely. I think that's the key. Yeah. Well, I think we can head into our talk strategy to me. Yeah. Sure. Awesome. So A, if you feel like there's anything that you haven't been able to touch on, we'd love for you to cover it here. But I would love to hear some action steps for people like actual communications people can have with their wholesalers after landing them. Is it mailers? Is it just email? Is it social? Is it like, like, do you send literal gifts to these people? Like how to make, build that relationship to make it super strong? Yeah. So I don't send gifts, but I do send a thank you note. So a couple of things you can do to really reach these retailers, send a thank you note once they place an order and send this outside of your packaged, you know, shipment of stuff, mm-hmm. send it directly to the buyer. It doesn't have to be long. If you, if you are a stationary business, use your own paper products and just say, you know, thank you. I'm really looking forward to building a relationship with you and working with you in the, for the long run. It doesn't have to be long, but it just needs to be special and show them, look, I care and I'm noticing and I'm paying attention. And 
The other thing is I do write a note in the package that's separate, but it's not always the shop owner or the buyer that's opening those packages. So um, that's why I'm saying send a separate one. Other touch points, areas of touch points, definitely email. Again, start with that more like personalized email and get to know them, find out what their needs are, find out what their clients are looking for. Sometimes I simply just even ask, what kind of products are you looking for right now? And if I'm not the one that's carrying, like if if they're looking for gift wrap, for example, and I don't have any gift wrap, I will maybe send, I will for sure, not maybe, I will for sure send them to somebody else that I know that has beautiful gift wrap. Or maybe I'll send them like three or four different links to people that I think are great. That is adding value to them. They're going to look at me and say, wow, okay, like if I need something, I can go talk to Katie because even if she doesn't have it, she'll get me in touch with somebody that does. Yeah. So being that resource for them is really going to go a long way in building that relationship. And frankly, that's true of anything. It's true of working with the press or even colleagues in your own industry. So, you know, again, building those relationships is going to be hugely valuable for you. Social media is another great place to have these relationships. It's a way to have casual conversations. It's a great way to see what's going on in somebody else's life or in their business. And it's it's a great starting point. Now, again, I would caution you not to use that as a selling platform, Not meaning don't like message them your catalog through a social media platform or whatever. Right. But do use that to connect, engage with them, like their stuff, comment on their stuff in a non-creepy way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, really use that as a way to engage. But I would say leveraging all the different yeah, – we're not all working side by side. We're spread out throughout the country or even internationally. And so use social media, use email, and use – the written message as a way to build those relationships. It's tough to do, but we're all doing it and we're doing it well. So continue. To awesome. Do. Oh, thank you so much for coming back on. Of course. I'm, I'm honored it. you asked. <laughs> well, remind everyone where they can hang out with you online. Sure. So I am at tradeshowcamp.com and we actually have, if you guys are interested, if you're in the paper world and you're interested in selling wholesale, we have our next paper camp conference coming up in September. It's going to be in Los Angeles, September 7th and 8th. And we just opened enrollment for that. And we're also going to have a scholarship available. So head to tradeshowcamp.com slash paper camp for that information. And then on social media, you can find us at tradeshowcamp everywhere. So Instagram's where I hang out mostly, but we're also on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. And then if you're interested in the podcast, hearing behind the scenes with other product-based businesses, that is Proof to Product. And our website there is proof2product.com. Yay, guys, go follow her and go learn some more stuff. She knows it. Oh, you guys are too kind. Thank you. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op, our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy to customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor. To get podcast updates and all the behind-the-scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details. Really love this show? It would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.